0: Hello once again everybody, this is Stuff We've Seen, this is Jim, and here he is. Folks, the man you've been waiting for, Uh, Teal. (laughs) This is a terrible opening. (laughs) That was a terrible (laughs) intro. I'm not going to re-record it, but I don't think it was my (laughs) best intro ever. I just shows you how much I'm feeling it today.
1: (laughs) I'm here, I'm back from the wilderness, and uh, ready to do some talking about movies, which we haven't been doing a lot of lately. Uh, for a number of reasons, one of which is there's no movies.
0: Yeah. um, So (laughs) there really isn't a lot of (laughs) films. I mean, you at least have theaters near you. I don't. Um, I've gone to some films recently uh, that I've wanted to see. I mean, this is the time of year where those types of movies, those sort of critically lauded films, they used to come out in droves. Now I don't even think there's that many. I actually think this is an interesting year where we're seeing for the first time a shortage of prestige films.
1: Absolutely. And I felt like there were a lot last year, even though some of them sucked, like that Empire of Light movie or whatever the hell that was, that Sam Mendes thing. Yeah, I mean,
0: usually you're hit with, from like late September to yeah. the end of December, you're hit with like 30 films that are all vying for awards attention. Yes,
1: and have a little buzz around them and have been generating buzz and have played at Venice and whatnot the writer strike well that's going to impact uh
0: content next year yeah because a lot of films didn't uh, get filmed over the summer and then of course the acting strike that also impacted so things starting later so I don't even know what's going on in 2024 yeah. but that might be one of the reasons a lot of these smaller independent films if they even have a shot in the theaters it relies on you know having actors available to promote those movies so i think there are a lot of films that may have been thinking of a release at the end of the year i don't know which the films those are but they may be now 2024 releases on the big film front that happened with dune 2
1: Right, right. And I understand with a bigger movie like that, um, but you know, something like, say, I don't know, from last year, like Tar. Right. right. You wouldn't necessarily move Tar to the next year because any hype it has is going right there and uh, you want that going into the Oscars. Well, I mean, there are three movies coming out in December.
0: Some of them may be out in limited theaters now, yeah. like in New York and L.A., that may be vying for awards attention, One of those is called American Fiction. Yes. And that's getting good reviews. Yeah. Another is Yorgos Lathamos's Poor Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to see that. Actually, it's four movies. A third movie, uh, it's getting some good word. Uh, I'm excited to see it. I guess I'm just going to be seeing it when it's on Netflix in late December, though it might be playing in some of their Netflix-owned theaters, is uh, Bradley Cooper's Maestro, oh
1: yeah yeah it's getting great reviews okay i'm curious about that i did watch the trailer it looked interesting i know there's some controversy about his nose
0: yeah i think that's an early controversy and that's gone now because it was ridiculous yeah i
1: think it's gone now too but but yeah that does look interesting okay and then the fourth one is is zone of interest zone of interest the jonathan glazer
0: yes and uh i i you know it's funny I have to go to Boston in a couple of weeks and I don't know whether it, it's, it's when the movie technically is going to be out. Right. I think it's in a couple of theaters right now, like in New York and LA, but I don't know if it'll be in Boston, but if it is, I'll have a chance to see it then, but I need to see that movie. That's high on my yeah. list. And if not poor things is going to be out and it'll be in Boston and I'll be there. So I may see poor things. I, I do want to see that.
1: There's been a lot made about uh killers of the flower Moon.
0: Well, I would think that because this is not that big a year, to me, that's automatically going to get slotted into like the Oscar race. That's certainly going to be.
1: I think it's automatically slotted in, but I also don't feel like there's been a huge amount of buzz or enthusiasm for it. Um, People are talking about the fact that it was called a success because it made less money than every other movie, but that it's basically an advertising expense for Apple as opposed to a product they're trying to make money on.
0: Yeah, but Apple just did a really stupid thing. I don't know if you know about this. So I
1: don't
0: know. Uh, <laughs> now we're going on We're going on weird tangents. But the other day they <laughs> had this Gotham Awards. I don't know much about the Gotham Awards.
1: Oh, but. I heard, yes. And there was some issue with De Niro getting a speech cut off. Robert De Niro was giving some speech. What
0: it had to do with, I don't know. But he had lots of choice anti-Trump uh, things he wanted to say. And... I don't know what the rationale behind this was, but Apple was somehow involved. And at the last minute, they had one of their people cut down the speech and feed the cut down speech to the teleprompter, I guess hoping that the 80-year-old Robert De Niro wouldn't notice. Oh, wow. And he noticed and was like, what the hell's going on? And he decided he's going to give the, he had the speech in his hands and he pulled it out. And he gave the speech, and then he had not nice things to say about Apple afterwards, and he was really pissed.
1: Uh, I guess that goes sort of along with the uh, cancelings and firings that are taking place all over Hollywood. Then I'm, I'm not getting canceled, so I'm not discussing the reasons why. But it's definitely been going on.
0: Yeah, but I mean... Now you see, you now you're forcing me to get into the subject. That,
1: that's that's very <laughs> no, we don't have to. I'm just, you know, well, the, no, see, this is the thing. You open your mouth. See, I'm going to cancel you. Listen, <laughs> what you say? Well, people, well, there's a re. What do you think people are getting canceled for? Because of they're their, getting they're getting canceled for their stances on Israel and Palestine. Yeah, and all I will say to that is, regardless of what side they're on or
0: whatever, I I would say that these are hot times and a very delicate situation. And a a tragedy all around Yeah. um, that, you know, depending on where you land on this thing, it's been a tragedy for years, what have you. But but ultimately, there was a point in time that no one was talking about this, really. And then suddenly, a thousand plus people were butchered and savaged, and then people are talking about it. And, you know, when you wrestle for the question of, well, why did uh, these people, Hamas, do that? Right? Because, like, why would you go and you'd murder yeah. and slaughter, but why would you do that? Well, the answer is because then you're going to get Susan Sarandon to go and talk you up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> publicly. And that's why, because they realize there is a lot of, I guess, uh, empathy for their yeah. cause, regardless of what kind of awful deeds they're going to do to, to get that empathy up, yeah. and that there was a lot of Jewish hatred in the world, and now – it's been unleashed like a genie in the bottle. So I guess
1: if that's what they were looking for, they got They've that. They've gotten it. And it's, what's interesting, though, is that it's not just cancellations. It's actual firings.
0: Well, but there's more to that is that then there's on the other side there's violence um it happened in my state in Vermont. Oh yes, there I were, saw that. Yeah. Three guys were visiting as they always do up in Burlington during the Thanksgiving weekend and some freaking asshole redneck guy shot them. They're they're alive. But I think one of these guys is in serious uh, yeah. serious and maybe paralyzed. And, you know, it angers me for many reasons. It, it, it First of all, it makes me embarrassed because I live in Vermont. Right. And, and, and this guy who shot them, you see this guy's mug shot. And so this guy... It, 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 I don't know his motives, but the idea that you shoot somebody like that is basically him saying, I'm better than you. Yeah. And then I look at the mugshot at this white <laughs> trash guy and I'm like, no, you're not better than anybody. You're horrible. And and it bothers me that this was guys now representing my state. Yeah. I don't like it because I've, these guys are just trying to enjoy their life and that's just not right. And so – there's so, this this topic is such a, a heavy topic. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people, I would say almost everybody, including myself, right, that would have anything to say about it, really isn't an expert on the situation.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I am not, I'm no expert. I Uh, every time I, and I, I don't get into conversations about it, but every time I do, I end up learning something because there's a lot I just don't know. And so it makes it hard for me to say a hundred percent this way or a hundred percent that way. Uh, it, it, it's, it's difficult for me to do that without more information. And I, you know, generally though, I just feel like it's a, a horrible tragedy and I'm, ultimately a pacifist and it's just horrible to see and it's horrible to see that it's uh you know spreading out into uh the culture and causing all this division and anger and strife and hatred uh so it's just you know it's a shame
0: yeah i mean and look again when it comes to i guess for the young kids out there that are like you know getting on a campus I, they're young so they weren't they were made these are some kids that might have been born in 2001 yeah Or that well they need to keep one thing in mind while they're getting upset about this conflict that's thousands of miles away, um, and whatever side that they're on, they got to take a hard look at the country that they live in, who was attacked. In a horrendous yes. event called 9-11, and then for 20 years uh, went out and did unspeakable violence on other countries yeah. where where our news media kept themselves out of it so that we were never fully aware of the massive amounts of loss of life and devastation yeah. that resulted. And I guess when when action happens like this, where some group takes violent action against another group that nation will almost always attack that other nation it's just that's yeah. that's strategically that's how it works, how it works. <laughs> and so it is violence against violence which is another reason why I always like that movie Munich by Steven Spielberg um, yes. I know I find it more successful than you do but what I what I like about the film's message is that The thorny issue of trying to take revenge for something when a terrible act has happened upon your nation, it gets you mired down into violence to revenge violence, which then Mm -hmm. brings on more violence. And it's a conflict that the people who never sit down to try to resolve the conflict because they hate each other so much. Right. And so it's just an endless cycle of revenge. I mean, so it's just a messy subject, and so I guess the first step for people is they should at least start doing some research and learning about w- <laughs> what the conflict is about it. But, yeah. but then again, when it comes to your point when you say canceled, it does also, you know, do we have free speech in this country or not? So regardless of whether you agree or disagree with somebody's take yeah. on anything, then is it like the person who makes the rules gets to decide whether or not, well, I don't like what you said, so we're not, you know, you you don't get to say that. It's different issues. What happens when it's an issue that you yourself are passionate about and then someone doesn't like what you're saying?
1: Yeah. So this, again, is why I am not following Tom Cruise's agent down whatever path she took. I don't see I don't even know that one story but boy if we haven't lost the audience uh yet
0: <laughs> thank you Teal. I'm blaming this one on you I, I I'm canceling you but guess what as a punishment I am not going to edit this out of the conversation
1: okay I'm well keep uh, I I've one I've one more thought on this oh you do yeah I'm crying well cuz you brought up the post 9/11 war on terror yes I think it's interesting that there are no good movies about that, with possibly the exception of Hurt Locker, which isn't even that great. About what what specifically? Uh, about the war on terror, about the post-9-11 uh, wars in Iraq and Afghanistan.
0: American Sniper, baby!
1: Yeah, that's, that's a classic. You don't like that movie? I do not like that movie at all. I, I despise that movie. As a matter of fact, I I saw it opening weekend in a, in a huge,
0: massive packed audience in an IMAX theater, but I haven't seen it since, and I'm kind of intrigued to see it again only because I know you hate it, and so I, I kind of want to take hate an it. examination as to like why you hate it and do I, do I get a sense of whether you were right or wrong. But you're also not a, you are not pro-war. You're an anti-war guy, so you want to see, if anything, a movie that might be more, you know. Anti-war
1: movie. Yeah, that shows the cost of war, not the glory of war. And that's a that's a glory movie. I think that's another part of the problem, though, is,
0: see, we talk about, you know, needing satisfaction. There was a group of terrorists, and they performed an action that was horrifying in the United States. They all died yes. performing it. There was a group that was operating in one nation— that they may also have had pockets that were sponsoring that group. Well, they eventually uh, got them too, but then we, you know, used (laughs) it as an opportunity to invade a country and remove a dictator that we didn't personally like,
1: but he had nothing to do with the, the operation. Yeah. So American, I mean, that's, that's, that's fact, correct? That's fact, but American (laughs) sniper, implies that uh, the war in Iraq was connected to 9-11. And that kind of propagandistic lie, I think, is really problematic for I see. A- I'd have to see the movie again, but I don't know if I, I agree with that. I think
0: it's connected in the fact that we chose to invade Iraq as a result of 9-11, even though – it turned out that there was no justification for doing <laughs> right. that. But I don't think American Sniper is saying, oh, we were justified. Uh, I'm looking forward to you watching it again. He might think he was justified. I mean, the thing is, a lot of these guys signed up for the war because they wanted to do something.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, and that, that it's clear that he signs up because he is upset about nine eleven and he wants to go kill people who… Uh, he thinks are responsible for nine eleven, even though they're not. But the film takes his side. But at the same time, he pays a well. He pays the ultimate price. He's he's killed at the end. But I think that
0: his whole psyche pays a price for all this stuff he's doing. He he has post traumatic stress, stress syndrome. He's he's not. He's a shell of a guy. What he's done for his country has ruined him. And then he's only slowly recovering from that experience at the end when he's then killed by somebody who also has post-traumatic stress syndrome
1: who yeah not be
0: helped i <laughs> <laughs> so i think there is a message there in that movie
1: i think there is that's just not the message i got
0: well so in vietnam yeah right out of vietnam we had filmmakers that went to vietnam yes
1: and we had a big uh, uh, you know the vietnam genre was it is a genre the filmmakers that say didn't go to Vietnam but they
0: grew up in colleges during Vietnam where the protest and the anti-Vietnam movement they went on to make films and they were very anti-war movies that were made as a result so that be kind of came a legacy of the boomers right that they were still carrying the protest showing like why were we there right now what we don't have to my knowledge, and it hasn't happened yet. We don't have veterans of this 20-year war that have come out and gone into filmmaking and told us anything or gave us an experience uh, in a film yeah. that talks about the experience. We've had things like what? Again, Angley didn't go um, to Afghanistan when he did right. Lynn's Long Walk Home, um, which is a terrible movie, by the way. So- so we don't have you know so there's that we've had films like what the green zone that wasn't very good and then I, syriana that wasn't very good yeah um what other one i mean so there's been movies they just they're all bad
1: they're all bad yeah that's why i said hurt locker is probably the best one maybe zero dark 30.
0: yes which a lot of people find fascist
1: yeah well because it (laughs) does you know narratively imply that torture works but and yet I disagree with you because I don't think <laughs> that is what
0: happens in the movie. I think they show that they are torturing them, but I don't think that
1: the torture got those results. It does. In the movie, they get the, the they get the info from the torture, but not because of the torture, though. OK, I'm going to have to watch it again. I've only seen it once. I didn't. I see watched
0: le- it not too long ago, a couple okay. years ago. Um, it still has, to me, the final half of the hour of that movie is an absolute masterpiece.
1: I, I don't disagree. It was just this one element that pissed me off. But otherwise, well, I enjoyed sh- the movie.
0: It should be, though. But that's the whole thing is if you can go into a movie arbitrarily yeah. and look at it. And Catherine Bigelow is like, well, what am I going to do? Not show that we like took people against right. their will, held yeah. them without like due process, and we tortured them to try to get information? That's what she's saying in the movie is, yes, this, this is what our government did in order to try to get Osama bin Laden and other targets. And she's not <laughs> glorifying it, but she's showing, guess what? We did, we did this. this. Yeah. I actually have to applaud her for showing that we did and she does it in such a matter-of-fact way that I think sometimes people miss the fact that like whoa like it's done so yeah. so kind of okay. in a way I- that's almost like verite like that whole opening where you got uh what's his face that actor um playing the torturer guy and which I also think is brilliant because later he comes back and he's now working back in the CIA building yeah. and he's got like a regular shirt and tie and it's so I find that part is so um, alarming and more stressful right.
1: that okay, this guy
0: so. can turn off a switch that you know. It's like, yeah, I remember you, dude. You're the guy at the beginning
1: torturing people. Okay, I will rewatch it. <laughs> well, you don't have. I'm not for my sake, but I'm well, just no, saying because that.
0: everybody loves it. I mean, it's not that I love it. I just think that it's a really interesting film that shows how hard it was to find Bin Laden. Yeah. And get him, and that we actually did get him. We, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> okay, so now that we've totally derailed the show. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we don't know what we're going to talk about. So, all right, well, listen, now I'm going to rattle off some stuff. Look, I went to the movie theater. I saw a couple of films. And so I saw that Napoleon movie, <laughs> the Ridley Scott oh, movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw it in 70 millimeter I was home for Thanksgiving and my family in in Massachusetts and my sister wasn't having the dinner until like you know five o'clock right so I said well if we dropped my youngest son off with her she could play with he could play with his cousin who's the same age at my sister's house and she thought that was a great idea because then I keep him busy so they played all day. My oldest, me and my wife, and my wife's husband all went into uh, Brookline at the Coolidge Corner Theater and saw Napoleon in 70 millimeter. And? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> 70 millimeter is always good. Uh, it's interesting because the film was shot digitally. And when you have a 70 millimeter print of something shot digitally, I guess it depends on the cinematographer and what the equipment they used. Uh, it certainly is sharper. Than right. and brighter than you normally get with those digital prints. Interesting. So it doesn't look as murky yeah. as some of those Ridley Scott films, especially if we saw Napoleon on um, TV, like streaming. I, I think that the way that they prepare those, it's gonna, it's just gonna look, you know. Yeah. Well,
1: so part of the thing with streaming is that the bit rate is really low, so there's less information. So like, 1080p can look better than 4K. So what you're getting on 4K through streaming is not the same as you would be getting on Blu-ray. Blu-ray has a really high bit rate, and streaming 4K has a really low bit rate, and you get all sorts of compression artifacts from that.
0: I think 35 millimeter is akin to like a 6K resolution. Yeah. And. 70 millimeters therefore is like 12k resolution um 70 millimeter imax is like double that because of the size right but regular 70 millimeter i mean you're looking at 12k resolution basically projected yeah right and, and i mean they had like i mean the brightness factor so and plus also there's like you know there's decisions the chemical process of film sure yeah it, it just it gave the film a look i would say though that digital overall when you shoot it and you're having, like, big landscapes and stuff, overall things feel a little bit flatter. They just don't have the depth. They do, yeah. And and so even if at 70 millimeter, it doesn't hide that. But what you find... Subconsciously, when you're watching these 70 millimeter films, is the details are so crisp and sharp that you're like eyes are really focused on everything going on, the right. sets, the costumes, the textures of your skin. Um, so that's really cool. And then they always give you like a really good sound mix for the digital because they know that if you can even project that, you probably have good sound equipment. So right, 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 uncompressed. So you know from that standpoint. I knew going in, Ridley Scott. What well, he's not going to. There's not going to be any depth to this movie, right? And <laughs> and Napoleon. What's he going to say about him? It's going to be like a, a Wikipedia page uh, treatment of right. of his life. And it, and it is. They jump in to really kind of start with his first victory, and so they don't do any of his childhood or anything. Okay. Right. And it really is like you know selected scenes here and there to tell a story, but we just for thanksgiving entertainment we just wanted something that had awesome like set pieces of like action yeah scenes. yeah yeah and
1: there's some great action scenes okay that's i mean that's basically i i'm sort of seeing this as just a uh an, another what was that one he did last year about with matt damon i forget that was just terrible it was terrible it was terrible the last duel the last duel was horrible. It was horrible. There, but there were some well put together uh, set pieces.
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing. I guess if you want to marvel at what he can do as a director, you watch these and you're always like struck because a the special effects are so good that you really can't tell what's. Mm-hmm of an effect or anything, but I'm sure that more that people that will see this, there is this one scene, and after the movie was over, we were all commenting on it. We were calling it, instead of Napoleon Bonaparte, we were calling Napoleon's horse was blown apart. Um, <laughs> 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 there's a scene where there's, you know when you watch these action movies and there's like all these horses and stuff and none of the horses sometimes the horse is trained and falls down but you never see anything bad happen to the right right well obviously this was cgi or something but a whole horse gets blown up (laughs) and i've never seen that in a movie so like that was my most memorable part was there was a couple of things that happened in these battles where ridley scott was really like yeah let's let's make things like i mean cannonballs flying through the air and hitting. He kind of thought through what was the kind of destruction that a cannonball would actually have. So, like I said, it's totally like, we kind of found it entertaining. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix plays him as very cocky and obnoxious and a super big ego. Okay. And that's kind of interesting. And there's a lot to do with his relationship with Josephine and what a messed up
1: relationship that was. So it sounds like, uh, you know, I would give this movie like a B minus.
0: Oh, no, I'd give it a solid B. But that doesn't, you know, for me, that's not good. Yeah, but but you like Ridley Scott. Well, come on now. He's your favorite Scott.
1: He's
0: your your favorite Scott. Well, because, you know, he was complaining, uh, I guess, because I don't think he likes how, like, Martin Scorsese gets all this praise and he doesn't. So he's kind of like, you know, since since he did – what's it called the irishman between that and this i've done four movies <laughs> and i'm thinking to myself yeah but they suck they all <laughs> suck wait he like, was actually how,
1: comparing himself to scorsese yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah he was um he's 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 hilarious like first of all this guy's 86 but he is pretty fucking spry yeah. this guy i mean he is just, like sharp as a tack this guy and uh you know house of Versace? i saw that in the theater that was like kind of funny and amusing but like the last third of it just
1: really didn't have the same energy he just doesn't make movies as good as Scorsese so you know making more he makes of a them, lot of them making more of them doesn't make up for for the quality yeah <laughs> yeah I mean unfortunately the longer his career's gone
0: and if you really stack up the movies there's only a handful that are really good and uh, you know he started off he was a craftsman and yeah. he had a very like that was part of his look I mean think about it the duelist right? Yeah, that was his last take on the Napoleonic Wars. That thing's amazing. It's amazing. And yeah. it looks amazing. And then Blade Runner has a look, and it and and of course it's regarded by many as one of the best films of all time. Right. And then Alien. I mean, that also has very much. It's about atmosphere and stuff. After those three movies, uh, uh,
1: well, just an incredible visual imagination. But that go, that goes away pretty quickly after those first couple of movies. Yeah, I mean, people don't spend a lot of
0: time talking about the White Squall, Ridley Scott, or the <laughs> 1492 uh Ridley Scott or the someone to watch over me Ridley Scott which actually uh, is shot really well um yes yeah it is shot really well but you know I mean this guy has a lot of uh you know question marks in his filmography. Napoleon isn't going to hurt the ozone layer, um, <laughs> and it's a big screen movie. That's the whole thing. So maybe
1: at least on your big screen when you watch it home. But, yeah, I will. I will be watching it at home definitely. I'm not. I, I, there's nothing like you know going back to this earlier conversation. Is there's there's nothing really that's got me. Uh, aside from Killers of the Flower Moon, that's really gotten me to say I've got to go out to the theater and see this. I probably would with Napoleon if it wasn't uh, Ridley Scott. But Well,
0: I went out to the theater... Uh, I don't know. it's funny. in the old days, this would be a gr- this was a great drive-in movie or a great movie in the theater, yeah. but now you know look at tickets are expensive. So we wanted to go as a family to see it in the theater. We certainly could have seen it at home. Um, but we had a great time, and I just love the fact that it really felt like an old school ridiculous over the- top
1: slasher movie was uh, Eli Ross Thanksgiving. I, uh, <laughs> I will watch it next next October. next October. <laughs> Yeah, I I, I wait. I'm, I save my horror movies up. Well, see, he's a smart guy because
0: now he's created the de facto Thanksgiving yes. film. So every Thanksgiving, if you feel you need to watch a slasher movie, now you got you, one. You've got one. <laughs> oh, it's funny is that you know it's set in Massachusetts, right, in Plymouth at Thanksgiving. But Eli Ross from Massachusetts. I'm from Massachusetts, and yeah. he understands something about South Shore people okay. and humor there, and the him and ever is a script writer they they just it's just it's very funny if you're from massachusetts because when people use that expression mass holes yeah this movie has a lot of mass holes in it okay and well now
1: and I, now you're making me want to see it
0: oh it's fucking great it's the best okay it's like really hilarious because it's it follows everything on those like Horror movies from the eighties, where mm-hmm. a bunch of people are getting killed, but there has to be a, you know, like like, like for instance, Friday the Thirteenth. You know, Jason drowns at the beginning, right? So and revenge. it's a revenge
1: thing, yeah, right.
0: Th- th- this is all set up, but it's it's freaking hilarious. Like the whole thing kind of hinges on the previous Thanksgiving, where a Black Friday store event goes crazy haywire, and tragedy ensues based
1: because of the greed. Right. Of people. Okay.
0: But it's also like Eli Ross over-the-top screen violence. So there's all this practical gore effects. Oh, fun. It's not scary. It's just awesome.
1: <laughs> I Yeah, I really, I feel like practical gore effects are really fun and we don't see enough of them. I did watch a film from 2023 that had a bunch of them. Oh, yeah. Wrath of Becky.
0: Wrath of Becky. Well, that sounds familiar. I think I've seen it kicking around.
1: It's the sequel
0: to Becky. Uh, okay, I don't so know that.
1: <laughs> Be- Becky is the first film, and uh, it, it she's probably maybe twelve in the first one. The first one's better because she's a kid, and so it starts off as kind of a home invasion movie. But she's not in the home when it happens; she's outside. So, like her parents are taken, okay, by the home invaders. And, and so you've seen it, the first movie. I've seen both of them. Okay. So it turns into basically a slasher film, a slasher slash revenge film where she's picking off the home invaders. And it's incredibly gory, uh, practical gore level stuff. And it's kind of hilarious because it's a 12-year-old girl uh, slaughtering all these, these grown men home invaders. So it's like home alone, but like with gore It's exactly what it is. It's home alone, but with a huge amount of gore. Yeah.
0: Now is this American film? Yes. Okay.
1: Yep. And yeah. And there is a sequel that came out in 2023 called wrath of Becky, where she's, I don't know, like college age. And it's just not as fun because part of the fun is that it's a little girl doing all this. Hmm. I don't know how I have never heard of this before. Yeah, I don't know how I stumbled on it either, but I, I saw Wrath of Becky and I thought, oh, what's that? And I went to check it out, realized it was a sequel, so I watched the first one. And
0: Okay, so it wasn't like you've been waiting for Wrath of Becky.
1: No, not at all. <laughs> not not like, at all. Oh, kids, and,
0: guess what? Wrath of Becky, it's a sequel to Becky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Yeah, so I don't know how this movie got a sequel because it's just a little independent film. Uh, but, it, but it's kind of, you know, I don't highly recommend it, but it's a fun kind of little twist on the home alone slasher type home invasion movie uh with some great practical gore and that's why i'm bringing it up basically is because i I guess
0: i'll have to use your snarky answer and say
1: well i'll watch it in october (laughs) see see when not when you hear it it doesn't sound very good now does it you're right you're right and i actually meant like yay i'll watch it in october like Mm -hmm. now i have something (laughs) well it is true i might hold it and try to remember it
0: because when it comes to october my wife's favorite month for watching horror movies yeah i like to have
1: something new to watch yes and, and me too. I like to throw some new stuff in the mix, and so I try to watch. And that's why I watched Becky because I was like, "Well, here's a an horror movie. I can give it give this a shot." Uh, so that's something I saw from 2023. I've seen a few others. Well, I saw that Lonely,
0: not Lonely Planet. Those are the other guys. Uh, the Please Don't Destroy guys. The yeah, I haven't seen that yet. Quest for whatever mountain or whatever the treasure of yeah. some foggy mountain. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, something you know, like that. It was it's free if you have the streaming right so that's good right i don't know if i had paid like you know the same money that i paid to see thanksgiving with the whole troop <laughs> right. i think i would have felt my money wasn't as valued as it was for thanksgiving cuz i laughed the entirely through the entire movie but not <laughs> not this not this please don't destroy that okay. one that one thankfully is only like an hour and 40 minutes it starts to wear thin but it's kind of like when i was a kid seeing strange brew it was dumb, but I kind
1: of liked it. <laughs> I loved Strange Brew, and, uh, but Strange Brew has also become a classic.
0: Yeah, I don't know if this will become a classic or not, but it still just reminds me that now these movies, I don't know if, like, when a comedy, several years ago, these Please Don't, don't Destroy guys, oh, yeah. people, I don't know how well it would have done, but, like, I know that um, that movie with, uh, not, Andy Sandberg when he, like, Does, like, little stunts and stuff? Uh, Yeah, uh, Hot Rod. Hot Rod. Well, that didn't do well, but it did make it into theaters. So I'm pretty sure that, like, five years ago, the Please Don't Destroy movie would have made it to theaters. But in today's environment, it's like, nah, you're going to be on Peacock yeah streaming on the cock that's the
1: state of the industry and it's kind of a disaster
0: yeah now now i want to just mention this before we do have one movie in common i saw in the theater and then it just hit streaming um which is annoying because you you go to the theater to see something and then like two weeks <laughs> right. later you discover it's going to be on it's going to be streaming <laughs> and it really is it's like it's like 14 days it's annoying cuz it's not even like oh well geez, it's been out that long no i think some movies they decide okay, it's done what it's done. Now we're going to put it on for demand to try to get some dollars.
1: Yeah. Uh, but other movies, it, it, it's part of the release strategy. It's like, okay, we'll go in theaters for two weeks and then uh, straight to streaming. It's interesting because you sent me an article about some
0: little local theater that's re-emerged in your town. Yeah. And I have like the flip side up in Northern Vermont. There's somebody that has a few different theater chains and there's one theater it was in South Burlington. And it's been a staple for years there. And so much so that local writers have written about it, like in books and things. It's just, you know, they're multiplex and it was shut down for a long time during the pandemic. And it yeah. came back and this theater owner owns two other theaters in the Burlington area. Um, nice for theaters, you know, this was like his first and then he opened some right. others. Uh, the problem was when the pandemic was over, his bread and butter, the older folks. Yeah. Oh. They stopped coming back. And his his feeling is it wasn't out of fear, even though that's probably a thing where older folks, you know, yeah. there, is that they learned how to use technology. Right. And streaming services. And suddenly it's like, well, why do I need to go to the theater? And so he had to close this theater after all this time. Also, and this is, again, the studios, we're, we're their own worst enemy. Um, a lot of these theaters will do like $5 Tuesdays. Right. Well, the theater companies will not allow the theaters to do that more than one day a week. Oh. They will not allow discount prices. And the thing is, these theaters, you know, some of these movies, like I said, the Thanksgiving movie. I only wish I only had paid five dollars per ticket.
1: Right, right.
0: Like the matinee was over ten; it would cost me like forty-five dollars for four
1: tickets. Yeah, that's that's pretty much. It's fifty dollars to go to the movies with a family.
0: And so, you know, these studios—it's like then okay, it's streaming, but you—I want the film experience. Yeah. And so there's like no wins, but then what's really where it's all coming down is they still had their big tent poles, right? Those were the ones. Well. <laughs> oh, Disney, man. Disney is the one who really messed it up.
1: <laughs> Disney right? really messed up.
0: I understand during COVID, you know, suddenly you know they were pushing their their Disney Plus site, yeah. and of course you couldn't go, and and it just seemed to make sense to you know try to get everybody signing up for a service, right? And they go, wow, we're going to put all these Marvel series. Mm. Well, Marvel, of course, I was already kind of over Marvel. I mean, I was seeing the movies like everybody but i wasn't as enthused about it and then i've actually gotten to the point where after a while the content is not so great and then the series they put so many of them i'm not really interested in them i haven't seen them so suddenly what happens is you see a thing like this marvel's uh movie that came out this marvel i don't know what it's called marvels and the preview looks terrible Mm -hmm. and it features people that are on the tv show And you're like kind of like, oh well, I haven't watched that. So now it's hurting because a lot
1: of people are like, well, do I have to watch the TV show to watch it? Well, the amount of knowledge that you now need to have to watch Marvel is like a pretty big barrier to entry for the whole thing, right? Like you can't like how do you just pick up and start watching Marvel? You can't. You have to go back 20 movies. Plus, they also they haven't really
0: I mean maybe they have discussions on this, but this is a thing generationally that uh, the first one, Iron Man, came out yeah. about a couple months before my first son was born. My first yes. son is now 15 and a half. Yep. So, he wasn't even quite the age where Marvel was that important because he grew right. up with Marvel. But like, I would say that for those kids who were like six or seven when that first movie came out, then the next 15-year journey was probably a huge part of their childhood. Exactly. but now they're grown up. That group is now old. They're grown up. And the last several movies haven't really been that good. I haven't even seen some of them. And I heard the last Wakanda movie was good. I wasn't interested again some of it. They, look, they can't control the fact that Chadwick Boseman died, you know, but let's face it. Without him, I wasn't I haven't seen like the last 4 or 5 Marvel movies. <sighs> I mean, the first one I couldn't get through was that awful one, Ant-Man no 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 i didn't see the latest one that was terrible um i watched the first five minutes i was out uh no the one thor no it was the one that like was it chloe zhao made oh eternals yeah we watched the first half hour out of it and slowly but surely each one of my kids was
1: trickling out of the room and then we just shut it off it was horrible it's a disaster i saw it it's it's awful
0: Yeah. The Ant-Man, no interest. I did think The Last Guardians was pretty good. I watched that, but I didn't see it in the theater. And normally I would have. They've lost me as a
1: customer. Well, not just you, apparently, because the Marvel's movie did not do well. Look, it's very simple. If the movie was good, people People would have seen it. it,
0: But you knew it was not going to be good because the trailer looked terrible, just the way that the trailer for Blue Beetle on DC looked terrible. And- The Aquaman 2
1: movie. I watched Blue Beetle. You did? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But did you watch The Flash? No, because I'm watching. How could you watch Blue Beetle, but not The Flash? Because do you think I watch these on my own? I watch them if my kids want to watch them. So my kid was like, hey, I want to see Blue Beetle. And I was like, okay. But she didn't want to see The Flash? She does, but she is just not, I don't know. She's not that excited about it right now. So she was suddenly excited about Blue Beetle. So I watched that. I will watch Flash when she wants to watch it. Okay. Well, like last year or two years ago, whenever it was, the Loki series, my wife and I and our youngest
0: watched that and we enjoyed it. Yeah. But this new series comes out and I just don't know. We haven't had any interest to in watching it yet.
1: I have no interest. And and uh, we watched the first one. We kind of enjoyed I've watched most of the Marvel series. You've watched more than I have. Yeah. I, I think I've watched them because, uh, but they have not been... I don't know. I'm, I'm just not. I, you know, I've never been excited about Marvel. I always thought it was just kind of a ridiculous, top-heavy, boondoggle. But it made billions <laughs> of dollars. So what do I know?
0: Well, I'm more excited about uh, Apple's offering Monarch: The Legacy of Monsters, and I've seen the first two episodes already
1: of that. <laughs> So, I saw a couple other 2023 movies. You're just like, I don't want to talk about The Monarch. Even no. though, because I haven't seen it yet, so I don't I'm want to. I'm not going to talk about it, but you
0: should be excited about it because don't you like Godzilla?
1: No. You don't? No. I thought you did. No, I'm not a Godzilla fan. You aren't? No. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Get out. Oh,
0: no, oh man, I, now I'm okay. So we don't have a lot of time. So tell me, rattle off what you've seen. I don't want to know of quick too much
1: hits. Uh I saw a movie called uh, The Royal Hotel. What is that? That is, uh, I believe, an A24 movie starring Julie Garner, uh, you know, from Ozark and The yeah. Assistant. Yeah. And this is about two girls who get a job in a bar in a mining town in Australia. And it's sort of played like a horror thriller where the villain is toxic masculinity. Okay. Is it good? I don't recommend it. Okay. Next movie. Uh, Next movie I saw was called the creator.
0: Oh yeah. 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 That's the the guy that directed one of those Gareth Evans.
1: I think Edwards something Gareth Edwards. Yes. Directed rogue one, right? He did Rogue One and he did a Godzilla movie and this is like a big budget sci-fi epic with John David Washington and it's about AI and so people thought maybe it had something to say. It, it's a failure. <laughs> it's a, it's a massive. It's a massive failure. It it, right. it is just. It's boring. It's bland. It has some nice visuals a couple of times, but it has nothing interesting to say about AI or what it means to be human or any of that kind of stuff. It it, it it's just. It's just a bland Hollywood action thriller but totally boring so that's a failure i don't recommend it uh next on my list is something that i believe you saw also called the killer by david fincher yeah and uh that was also a disappointment for me
0: it was a friday night oh a new film's on let's watch it david fincher yeah and it's sort of like i think they were like here fincher do you want to do something on netflix for us that you're never gonna no one's ever gonna see in a theater Sure. Why not? I'll do that. You want to give me money to make a movie? I will. I'm not going to give you the best Fincher ever, but I'm going to give you Fincher and uh, I won't have him say anything. So that way I don't have to do a thousand takes and uh, we'll do a voiceover afterwards. And uh, we won't actually show him successful in a mission, but we'll show him fail. And then we'll show him get revenge on all the people that were trying to kill him because he failed. End of story. Yeah. I enjoyed it actually more than you, but I mean, I kind of forgot
1: about it. <laughs> I didn't. It wasn't a miserable experience. I mean, it, I felt like I was watching, you know, Equalizer 2 or something. <laughs> um, because it's basically just your standard cut and paste Hollywood hitman revenge movie, and it, it, there's nothing about it. If I if I just watched it and didn't know that Fincher was behind it, I would not have guessed, because it's so straightforward in the direction. There's nothing really interesting about it at all, and so it's a, it's a really bland movie in my opinion, and I think. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I I think Fincher is kind of uh, overrated anyway, but this really drove that point home that this, this is not a, a movie to write home about. It's not even like, I, I think Panic Room is a better movie. Oh, I hated Panic Room. Yep, better movie. Fincher has made two movies that I really liked.
0: One I think is great. Yeah. So I really like Mank and I love The Social Network. Yeah. That's it. The rest of those movies I don't really like.
1: Yeah, no. The rest of them I don't really like. Uh, I don't like Gone Girl. I don't. I don't like Gone Girl.
0: But I do like. I mean, I, as far as I remember, I only saw it once. Like uh, the opening day was uh, Benjamin Button. I guess I'd have to take a look at that again.
1: And Fight Club is just you know unfortunate that it exists.
0: Oh, I guess I liked Fight Club then, and then I rewatched it because my oldest wanted to watch it a couple like a year and a half ago, or whatever,
1: and it didn't hold up. It does not hold up. it's kind of embarrassing how poorly it holds up
0: it was cool for its time but once you know what it's up to and you watch it again it's not cool at all
1: yeah (laughs) so then the last film i saw 2023 i believe you saw also and you saw it in the theater
0: Yes, and it's because it's. I went by myself, and I didn't expect Ken was going to be on streaming and just the other day. Um, <laughs> but but I'm glad because I, I I, I love the film experience, and I like yeah. seeing movies, uh, especially this kind where when they say they don't make them like this anymore, they really don't. It's just as a style of film that uh, when movies were important and people wanted to see kind of human stories, yeah,
1: and adult films adult dramas with like r- real complex characters and emotions and yeah and not just like following the characters through the story not just a series of plot points
0: yeah not made by young filmmakers who are like let's goof it up with all sorts of
1: shenanigans and stuff right um which this movie could have easily been filled with shenanigans it, it, it could easily been a, a Breakfast Club type movie, right? You know, the
0: filmmaker doesn't make movies like that. And, uh, you know, he hasn't really, doesn't make a lot of films. And his last movie was a big bomb. And I didn't even Which see it. Which one was that? Downsizing? It was the downsizing. I never saw it.
1: Yeah, I didn't see it either.
0: But we're talking about Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. Yes. Starring Paul Giamatti. It's, st- it's starring Paul Giamatti. And, you know, out of all of alexander payne's works the one that i like the most the one i really really enjoyed sideways i just loved and i really thought the performances were amazing and i can't believe Mm -hmm. paul giamatti did not get nominated for best actor uh for that movie and so you know i was excited to see this Uh, also i had already heard 'Cause they didn't do any real like, you know, publicity on this film. It takes place in Massachusetts in nineteen seventy. Yeah. And I heard that there was gonna be a sequence that was filmed at the near and dear to my heart, Somerville Davis Square Cinema. And so I think for that I was like, you know what? I think I can make a a trek to see this in the theater Mm -hmm. and pay homage. And especially if my Somerville theater, which has meant so much to me over the years is going to be making an appearance in it. I got to see this. So, you know, I didn't really know much about the story or what to expect. So I was really taken by surprise with this movie because the tone of it wasn't what I was expecting. And I liked the fact that it wasn't what I was expecting.
1: Yeah. And so the tone of this movie, I don't have a great way to describe it. It's, it's comedic without being jokey. It's serious without being maudlin. It's very human. I guess it might be a way to describe the tone, but I was, I felt myself like 15 minutes in, I was like, I love the tone of this movie. I I don't know how it's balancing it so well and having this consistency in tone, but I found it very comforting and enjoyable on the tonal level. You just said exactly what I was feeling. You
0: settle into a movie like this and it doesn't it doesn't even... I think we're so accustomed to how movies are made today. Yeah. And there's like a whole almost algorithmic process to how films like this open and yes. the kind of music. And, you know, here's a film that takes place in 1970. And so there'd be this temptation to put wall-to-wall um, hits from the time period mm-hmm. to kind of make points, but yet there's some very intriguing choices. I had to look it up. There's a, a guy who makes a couple of appearances in the, the movie, the, the music. Yeah. And I, it kind of has a Cat Stevensy tone, yeah. which is funny because Cat Stevens has a song in the movie, right, but yeah. I looked it up and it's this guy, I think he was like a French guy or, or an English guy. And it's from the early seventies, his music and it doesn't sound like it's from 1970 because I've never heard it ever used in a movie
1: before. Oh, wow, but it is actually, that's fascinating because the soundtrack is incredible. And then there's also like an instrumental uh, score to it too, but, you know, every
0: every scene in the movie was shot on a practical location. Yes. There's no sets. They actually got a school um, in Massachusetts and then, you know, a couple of schools for different parts. Everything is shot in houses, practical locations. They did a lot of location scouting to find things in Massachusetts that kind of looked like it might've yeah. in 1970. Of course, I knew that like some of when you know the area, you know that they couldn't get from say A to B to C, but, what was cool is there's a scene in a, like a fancy restaurant yeah, where Giamatti makes a scene and <laughs> at the end they're outside in the parking lot. Yeah. And I don't think it's the same restaurant inside as outside. It could have been, but they just, dressed it up differently. But the outside is this restaurant from Waltham called The Chateau that my family was going to since the, I was born. That is hilarious. And I didn't know that was going to be in the movie. And when I saw that, you know, it's just like, it's kind of wild to see, you know, something that means something to you yeah. used in the movie. And then, of course, the Summerville Theater, they show their great balcony and they show like
1: kind of the lobby. And I just, that was also very cool too. I was charmed by this movie. I got caught up in it. At first I was like, oh, it's two hours, 15 you minutes. You didn't even
0: want to see it when I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I didn't.
1: Uh, Before I saw it, I just said, oh, the holdovers." You're
0: like, yeah, I don't want to see that.
1: Well, you know, so here, part of my issue with Alexander Payne is that I feel like sometimes he's mean spirited and is sort of poking fun at his characters. uh uh, sort of uh, uh, from like a just a distance right and kind of like look at how look at this loser ha ha and and i feel like it can be a little mean-spirited and i didn't get any of that in this movie none at all i felt like this was much more mature from him than than some of his other films in terms of a part of it is the age of the characters uh you know there's sort of Three different ages of characters, uh, these three characters. But I just felt like the movie was really generous and kind to the characters. And he's sometimes mean to his characters.
0: Well, the me- the main kid in the movie? Yeah. This is his first film. He was actually from Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts. He had just graduated. Wow. And to be this good <laughs> well, it's pretty amazing. But I think that added something because the way that the film starts, you aren't quite sure who the main
1: kid protagonist kid's gonna be no you're not at all and it it takes a little while because there's a couple other kids that could potentially take that role and i like that
0: because you're not quite sure and plus because you don't know any of these kids you don't already go
1: oh well this kid we
0: know so he's gonna be
1: right the the main kid so the other thing is i was uh, sort of looking at the clock a little bit because i'm interested in when things happen in movies in terms of pacing yeah and i was 48 minutes in when i thought oh this is the end of the first act right and so i realized that in a standard hollywood movie that sequence would have come 20 minutes earlier because it needs to be an inciting it is needs that to the launch helicopter? the story Yes.
0: Yeah, I love that, too. It's like a new twist. It takes you into the second act. You're right. It's kind of like the end of the first act.
1: It's like an end of the first act twist, but it happens like 48 minutes into the movie. And so the movie really has its own pacing and style and is not falling into the formula. That it could easily have done, you know, and in in any other hands, I think this would have just been the most standard, boring, uh, straightforward, predictable kind of movie, and it isn't. Um, and and part of that is the complexity. You know, it's like Paul Giamatti is. It's almost like a Scrooge story, right?
0: Yeah, this is a great anti-holiday holiday movie, but he's not. Uh, he's not
1: as horrible as Scrooge. Like it, he's w- a crumudgeon. He's a curmudgeon, but he also has a little bit of a sense of humor and, and a good sense of himself. And so he's not just a grumpy. It would have been so easy to play him without that little bit of humor and to play him just as a, a grumpy, uptight guy. And Giamatti really makes him into a, an actual person.
0: Yeah, Giamatti is is really fantastic. And of course, um, Divine Joy Randolph yes. is really good in a role that, you know, I'd say, you know, a few years ago, that role would have been a throw-in, but there's actual yes. complexity given to that role, and she's great. And then what actually did surprise me, I didn't really know this till the end, the movie feels like an interesting adaption of some obscure book. Yeah. And then you find out that it wasn't a book at all, that it was an original screenplay, and it came about because the guy who wrote it was trying to pitch a series and it didn't get picked up. And then he revised it into a movie. Interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, I recommend this movie to um, adults.
0: Well, you know, it's funny now that the movie didn't kind of, it's not going to be in theaters and it's going to be yeah. on demand and stuff. It's a great opportunity to me. If you're looking for like a different type of holiday film, this is a perfect
1: movie to watch in December. It absolutely is, and but like when I said it's for adults, it's not because uh, there's adult subject matter. It's that it, it, it <laughs> it's an adult dra- it, It's like the kind of drama they used to make for grownups, and they don't make them anymore because they're now pandering to a four quadrant audience, and so you just don't get these kinds of subtle uh, uh, grown up dramas anymore. This is the kind of film when I was growing up
0: that I loved to see. Maybe because I was a film snob or whatever, but like it reminded me of a reminded me of The Paper Chase. Yeah, you know, it, it not not exactly like the subject, but it's like that style of filmmaking. It's very adult. Yeah, that style of filmmaking. I mean, it even reminded me of like The Graduate. The style of it like Alexander Payne's style. He is using some 70s techniques mm-hmm. um and it's funny i said this to you and it may be because because of the fact that it was set in boston and part of this movie the adventures go to boston but i read afterwards i'm not the first person that felt this had a lot in common with the last detail
1: i can see that yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah i mean it has a lot of that hal ashby work what i liked about hal ashby defining the 70s through his films is he wasn't flashy yeah. in his filmmaking technique like anything he used whether it was a zoom or moving it was all in service of telling the story yeah. it wasn't about oh I need to make this flashy whereas like when it comes to camera work there's usually a very specific Scorsese style yeah. I think he's actually done a little bit differently in Killers of the Flower Moon Um, but you know there are certain trademarks that Scorsese as a filmmaker does yeah. whereas alexander Payne, i'm now seeing a style over a series of films and it's like a serious kind of 70s approach to making movies
1: yeah it, this is very subtle but it's something i liked about this movie Is i started to notice that the camera moves and the zooms were done by hand right and so like not steady cam Not steady cam. They were on they were on a track, but also like the movement of the tripod head was done by hand, not by motion control.
0: Yeah. And that's another thing about like the fact that they weren't shooting on set. You don't have all this technical stuff going on. You have to work with the confines of the environment you're in
1: yes but you could actually tell that like you know they're readjusting the frame a little bit as they're moving as opposed to a fincher film where every detail is so motion controlled down to the millimeter right this has a a little bit more of a an analog feel to it it does and of course um there's like it's funny because
0: i went and saw it in the theater and i didn't get to see it projected but it did play in in boston it played at somerville and it yeah. played at places in chicago like the music box in 35 millimeter oh, okay and it was shot digitally though they did do a lot of processing They did a lot of
1: processing yeah
0: but it worked here it actually almost passes and seeing it in a theater it certainly looked more but at the beginning they do an awesome thing where they make it look like kind of the opening like rated r symbol from the uh, 1970s and then even the film company Mm -hmm. logo it looked like something that might have been like made 1970 and it's there's it's maybe silly but i appreciated that because it's trying to say we're not just set in 1970 we're trying to make you feel like a film that might have come out in 1970
1: well and it does feel like 1970 and you know it's it's so easy for period movies to t- just throw in a bunch of basically pop culture references and bell bottoms.
0: I was born in 1970. I'm from Massachusetts. I obviously don't have any memories from 70, but in the mid 70s, I do. And it felt it felt authentic to me. About as authentic as you can get, being 50 years later.
1: Yeah, no, that that's how I felt too. It felt totally authentic, and I and I recognized my childhood in it. Well, here's the cool thing: when I saw it in the theater. It was actually a pretty crowded theater. It was an older crowd.
0: And I would say that most of the people that were seeing the film were in their 70s or up. And what it struck me was, well, I'm 53. I was born in 1970. It takes place in 1970. All the people around me were either the student's age or like early 20s. And this is
1: nostalgia for them. It's absolutely nostalgia. And, you know, it has a whole Vietnam War angle which I think is really important. But yeah, that definitely taps into bloomer nostalgia. And I think that's probably, I don't know how old Alexander Payne is, but it definitely felt like he, he was in tune with this generation.
0: He's late fifties, I think, or early sixties or at this point. But uh, I mean, for me, I was just taken. It's certainly the type of film that I love. So, Look, in a
1: year that's not been so great, I would be shocked if this wasn't on my top 10 list for the year. It's definitely uh, got a spot on mine so far. You know, we'll see. Uh, I haven't seen Marvels yet. It, it certainly surprised you, I guess, because I know you really didn't think you were going to like this movie. I didn't. I didn't. Because th- I just have very mixed feelings on Alexander Payne in general. And so it was just kind of like, yeah. Another like grumpy dyspeptic Paul Giamatti performance. Like I, I, I don't know. I just it, it didn't it didn't sell me. And then uh, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was fantastic. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, that of all the films that we've talked about, I think that
0: that's the that's sort of like the hidden gem that people yeah. should now that it's hit streaming. Maybe you want to rent something. Uh, you should check it out. It certainly it's got a. It, it, the thing is, I can see this movie becoming an annual classic for people to watch once a year
1: absolutely yeah i mean it is it, it's a great holiday movie it's it, it, it's sort of an anti-holiday but it it's not really anti-holiday it gets into the
0: spirit and if you want looking to double it up if you're say you're a big fan of this movie which i haven't seen in years but like it's sort of an anti-dead poet society movie
1: so like yes you could double bill it with that <laughs> exactly a great double bill <laughs>
0: he's about as opposite of um robin williams as possible
1: (laughs) yeah no i just i I liked the fact that he was that he was funny not just grumpy well listen kids we're way over time yeah we're we're way over time let's finish this up
0: but uh you know hey people we've now we've gone and given you a ton of stuff to to think about to uh possibly see um and who knows what we'll have seen by the time we get on the mic next
1: well, maybe some of these uh, these year-end uh, prestige pictures will have found their way to our eyeballs. Maybe. Um,
0: <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, uh, go to see some stuff. Uh, StuffWeSeen.com. That's our site. And uh, we're also on Instagram. So check it out. Check it out. Okay. Or, Bye-bye. And, uh, you know, Jim and Teal at uh, gmail.com or uh, feedback at StuffWeSeen.com. Yeah. Cool. All right.
1: Bye. Bye-bye.